Colts call in. Very, very happy to be here on a Saturday. Had a technical difficulty. I apologize for that. Are, are going to talk about the Indianapolis Colts, as always. And we're going to talk about the Indiana Pacers as well. And talk about whether they are capable or whether they prioritize winning as their kind of top goal. Or whether it's about making money for them. And, and nobody begrudges the Pacers or the Colts. In terms of their desire to profit, I mean, that's what it's the family business for Jim Irsay. And Herb Simon has been a steward as an owner for the Indiana Pacers for a long time. But the truth is that in 38 years, the Colts have won one championship. 2006 NFL season was a glorious time. In fact, that entire decade virtually was, minus the 2001 season that got Jim Mora fired. Other than that, it was lovely, wasn't it? even though they lost another Super Bowl. But the Indiana Pacers, they've been to one NBA Finals. They've been to the Eastern Conference Finals a number of times, but to the NBA Finals once, and they've never won a championship. So you have to ask yourself, are they capable of winning a championship? And and so as we look at the Pacers and at the Colts and, and wonder legitimately whether they want to win, I think it's a legit question. I don't. I, I have no problem with that question, and and they shouldn't have a problem if people begin to ask. And what what we heard yesterday from Kevin Pritchard, who's the president of the Pacers basketball side uh, of the business, Rick Fusen, of course, the president of the business side. But Kevin Pritchard was talking about how they had deals on the table, and Herb Simon, the owner, said, "Why don't we wait? Why give up assets? Maybe it's going to fall our way anyway." Well, okay. I got one question. Why is Herb Simon offering an opinion? Herb Simon knows that if if you want to succeed in business, you delegate. You have to effectively delegate. Kevin Pritchard knows more about basketball than Herb Simon. So why is why is Herb why is Herb weighing in? Maybe it's because he doesn't want to lose the assets that have caused the the Pacers, especially in their recent history to be mediocre. I don't know what's gained by that, but if you don't break a few eggs, you don't make an omelet. And if you don't put your chips in the middle of the table at some point, you don't win at, at, you know, playing poker. You don't gamble if you don't risk. And the Pacers decided not to risk during the draft on Thursday night. So they wound up with what they wound up with. The Colts, they continue. I mean, my God almighty, how, how, how long is it going to take before you settle on a quarterback? And I know we think that Matt Ryan is going to be the guy, and I hope that he is. But you go back to opening day quarterbacks, and you're talking about Scott Tolzien, then Andrew Locke, then Jacoby Brissett, then Phillip Rivers, then Carson Wentz, and now Matt Ryan. If you can't settle on a quarterback, what are you doing? What, what's your... What's your modus operandi in terms of running this franchise and making sure that it's competitive and able to win? That's the question. And and so I, I think it's a legit question. Chris Ballard is the GM of the Colts, is 42 and 42, including the postseason. He's a perfect 500 over his five seasons. Frank Reich has gone to the playoffs twice in four seasons, so he's kind of 50-50. The Pacers last year were a disaster at 25 and 57. That's how they got the sixth overall pick. Now I'll tell you this, I'm starting to fall in love with Benedict Matherin 
Uh, I think, you know, anybody who says what he said about LeBron James, I'm all about. I'm good with that dude saying that, you know, he thinks he's the best that there is. And if LeBron's the best, he's going to have to prove it to him. I love that. I love some swagger. So, you know what? He's not Jaden Ivey, but maybe he's a guy. We didn't watch a lot of Arizona basketball this past year. Maybe he's as good as Pritchard says he is. And then you go to Nembhard, who's taking it 31. This is what drives me a little bit nuts about Kevin Pritchard, though. What he said yesterday in talking about the draft classes, he thinks he got three top 20 guys. No. You got number six, you got number 31, and you got number 48. Look, Kendall Brown might wind up being a really good professional basketball player, but what he was on Thursday night, as determined by the 30 teams in the NBA who are all drafting, he's the 48th best guy in the draft, or somebody would have taken prior to that. He said that the Pacers were trying to move up as high as 32. Once they drafted 31st, they tried to go to 32, 33, 34, 35 because they wanted Kendall Brown. I, you know what? Sometimes I just think Kevin Pritchard is not telling us the truth. So the question remains, is this a team committed to winning? And are the Colts a team committed to winning? Uh, let's, talk to, uh, let's talk to JP. JP, uh, thanks for joining us on this beautiful Saturday in Central Indiana. Make sure uh, and uh, unmute yourself. And uh, how you doing? What do you th- What are your thoughts about the Colts? What are your thoughts about the Pacers? Well, I think can you hear me? Okay, Ken. Yeah. Okay, I think um, it's not about being good. It's about being good enough. And I, I see this through both teams, the Pacers especially. The Pacers, since I've been a fan, you know, for t- twenty five years always seem to be good enough so that people don't grumble. They're always in contention to be in the playoffs. They're always, but they're never really relevant to win anything. And the Colts are kind of in that same flow. I don't think that comes from Ursay. In my opinion, that comes from Ballard with the Colts. Yeah. And with and with the Pacers, I think it's just endemic in the organization that they want to be good enough to keep fans satiated so you know they're not going to grumble and and call for people's heads and that's kind of where we're at and you know Ballard is going to be a survivor and uh, that's what he's basically portraying in the way he's been running the team you know I never underestimate a person's desire to keep his job as as a priority right I mean you, you people in management understand that what they want to do first, and they know how to appraise managers in this way, as you just did. People want to keep their jobs. Chris Ballard wants to keep his job. Kevin Pritchard wants to keep his job. And so maybe part of this, you're right. It's not maybe about, hey, we've got to, you know, engage the fans in terms of their kind of hope button, but they need to, Ballard needs to manage Ursay, and Pritchard needs to manage Simon in a way that keeps hope in their minds so they keep their jobs, right? Yeah, I think these guys are both absolutely A-plus managers of their owners. I, that's evident. I think <laughs> in everything that they do, it's evident these guys 
have those owners wrapped around their fingers, I think anyway, more than I've ever seen. I, I don't even know. I mean, I always felt like Polian was almost like the big brother to Jim Irsay. I had that sort of, you've been around for a long time. You would know that way better than me, but that was always my impression. Like he was so revered, like he was the senior citizen of the, of the group. And they looked at him with that sort of respect, big brother or uncle kind of a thing with, with Ballard. I, that guy is such a pro at working, not just the, the media, the owners, everything that he does is all about preservation and status quo. And I think he could roll this way for five, 10 more years without really being in danger because he's got a solid foundation. He's a really good evaluator of talent and he knows how to work the media to get them on his side. And that keeps Jim very happy, even though I know Jim wants to win. You know, it's fascinating to me that the same man who hired Chris Ballard, who, as you said, is very, very polished in both internally in that Colts complex and externally with the media and with the fans really, really polished. And then he also hired Brian Grigson, who is, he may be a really good evaluator of talent. I think he's underestimated in his uh, ability to evaluate talent. But with the media, he was a complete disaster and has probably done a much better job of managing the media since he left the Colts or, or was left by the Colts. Uh, and he's still very active in in talking to and texting and and com, uh, kind of communicating with the media. I think it's just interesting that the same guy landed on both these people who are diametrically opposed to one another. Yeah, well, you know, Grixon learned a tough lesson. I mean, talking about learning a tough lesson, he he learned it. You know, he lost the team that had Andrew Luck. How do you do that as a GM? That's, you know, it's hard, it's hard to imagine that you yeah. could be the guy that, that runs that into the ground. And so, um, he, he had to learn less. He's a smart guy. These GMs are all super smart guys. People may like one or not or like another. They're all pretty smart guys to get to that level. They've got to rise through the ranks. They've got to know how to play the game, but you know, they're just very different personalities. And, uh, Ballard is a guy that media loves. Whether he always deserves the love that he gets, I guess that remains to be seen. His record indicates not so much. But uh, I appreciate it, JP. Thanks so much for the call. Okay. Great stuff, uh, the great JP. We love it when uh, when he chooses to join us, and you should as well. Activate yourself as a caller, and and we'll continue to talk about this. Yeah, I think it's fascinating, and and I think he's exactly right that these are really smart guys. Ryan Grigson was a smart guy. And is a smart guy. And, and people who just dismiss a guy like Grigson is an idiot. Uh, I think that they miss the point about Ryan. Or, or if they say that, you know what, Ballard is a little bit too smooth an operator. Or that Pritchard is, you know what, he, he kind of, the thing that drives me a little bit bats about Kevin is that he perpetuates kind of the same version of lies again and again and again. Like it, and this this is a great example of that. So uh, the Pacers draft Goga Patadza number eighteen. Uh, this was a few years ago, obviously. And so Kevin comes down and he's talking to us, and he says, "You know what? We got very very fortunate here. We could not believe 
that Goga was still on the board at 18. We had him projected, you know, uh, like 12th or, or even higher and, and thought that a team was going to certainly take him ahead of 18. And then his international scouts came out to talk to us about Goga. And uh, we asked, hey, um, so were you surprised that Goga lasted this long? You know, kind of just to get him to expound on what Kevin was talking about, but with more specifics. And and the guy says, no, no, he really, he went just about where we thought. You know, that's, we kind of had him pegged at this part of the draft. They're like, oh, so nobody said this, but somebody's full of ish, right? As Dan Dockage says, somebody's full of it. And it was Kevin. And Kevin, he did it again the other yesterday saying that they got three top 20 guys. They can't believe that the draft fell so right for them. It, it, it's preposterous. You can't tell us that every single year and then go 25 and 57. And, you know, and I think, though, I think that a lot of what Kevin Pritchard does in the media is to um, kind of manage Herb Simon through his commentary in the media. You don't think your owner for giving you great draft advice the the afternoon after the draft, year after year after year after year, if you're not trying to, you know, kind of butter the man up. Right. And and that's that's what that's what Kevin's really good at. And I think JP's exactly right. You know what, these guys are really, really good at managing their owners. And and it's not about for some, and I'm not going to say this so much about Chris Ballard, but I think it's sort of true with Kevin. I, I think that Kevin understands that this is kind of the last rodeo for him in terms of being an NBA GM. And so what what he's doing is kind of just kicking the can down the road in terms, you know, for his career. There he goes. You know, he's going to make it another year. He's going to make it another year. He's going to sign an extension and remain here. And what we've what we know about Herb Simon is that he does not like to fire people. You know, how many people, you know, Donnie Walsh left, replaced by Larry Bird. Larry Bird left. These guys weren't fired. Herb, I don't think, has the stomach to fire guys. Mel, his late older brother, had the stomach to fire people. I, I think that, you know, he, he, Mel, kind of like, you know, what I heard about Mel is that he was a member at many, many country clubs in Indianapolis and would go play at one, and he didn't like to wait around, so he just hit into a foursome. And because he hit into foursomes so often and was so impatient, he'd get run out of the club. And so he wound up building his own place on his own property called Asherwood, which was a 27-hole track. I think it actually had 16 holes, 14 or 16, and some shared greens. So it was it was kind of an efficiency 27-hole course, and he was generally the only guy who played it. And it was immaculate. It's no longer immaculate. I don't even know if it's still a golf course. But that's that's Mel. Mel, impatient. Herb, I think, much, much more patient. And I think that Jim Ursay is really a pretty patient cat. If you look at, and, and we all knew what the score was for the Indianapolis Colts back in 2016. You know, 15, right? In 15, they had the uh, the summit. 
that media availability at like 10 at night on a Sunday with Jim Ursay, Chuck Pagano, and Ryan Grigson, where Ursay announced everybody's coming back. We're not firing nobody. Here are our guys. And and these are the guys who are going to bring us another Super Bowl. And everybody in the room was like, really? All right. How long is it going to take before you figure out you need to fire one of these guys? And Grigson's going to be the first to go. And you knew it. 2016 didn't go well. Grigson gets kicked to the curb. 2017 doesn't go very well. I don't know how that all worked out between like Ballard, Ursay, and Pagano. But you knew Pagano. You could tell through his behavior that he was a ghost. He gets fired. They hired Josh McDaniels. And then McDaniels decides to stay in New England and they hire Frank Reich. And, and since then, Frank Reich has been adroit enough as a tactician in terms of managing the football team and managing his, the, the front office and his owner and the fans and the media to continue to put kind of a happy face on mediocrity. And to continue to say, you know what, we're just a year away. And and the Colts, they're a year away again with yet another starting quarterback. And we hope that Matt Ryan at age 37 has, you know, at least this year and then one, right? So you have the same starting quarterback for two years in a row. The, the Colts, man, the Colts for so long, right, had this thing kind of wired. And, and you look at the quarterbacks historically for the Colts, whether it was like Unitas, and then you kind of had a couple of weird years, and then all of a sudden you got Burt Jones. And then they try to get it settled with uh, Jeff George. That didn't work out. So Harbaugh's here a little bit, never really a full-time starter. And, and then you luck into Peyton Manning, and you got him for 13 years. And then you luck into Andrew Luck, and you had him for, uh, what, seven years. And, and now they're in that kind of that awful ground, that, uh, you know, kind of wobbly ground where you're trying to find the next guy. Are you going to be able to? Who's it going to be? Is it Arch Manning, who committed to Texas this past year? And are the Colts committed to doing what's necessary to getting that thing kind of settled? Or are they going to continue to trade? You know, and, and I hope that Matt Ryan is the right guy. But you look at them, you look at the Colts, you know, and every other year they go get the old guy, then they traded for the young guy, and you, you thought, okay, with Wentz. But the city of Philadelphia rained upon us reality with Carson Wentz and, and what we learned from those Philadelphia fans and what Washington fans are going to learn from Indianapolis fans and Philadelphia fans is that he's just kind of this iconoclastic non-winner. You know, he, he's not a guy who, who leads his team. Zach Paschal asked about him. Uh, he, of course, now with the Philadelphia Eagles, but a wide receiver here for the last few years. And they, they asked him about Wentz, whether he'd ever be interested in, in playing with Wentz or, or gave that any thought. And he was really um, brief, but to the point in saying he had no interest in playing with Carson Wentz again. And if you talk to Indianapolis Colts guys, kind of on the down low about Carson Wentz, you don't find many, if any, in that locker room that has anything good to say about Carson Wentz. So, you know, that, that's kind of where this franchise is. 
they've been unable or unwilling to make the decisions necessary to be as competitive as they need to be. And, and the real decision now, and, and I'm going to give Chris Ballard a lot of credit. You know what? He did it on his own timeline this offseason where we keep saying, you know, you need to pass rush. You need a pass rush and you need a quarterback and you need a wide receiver. You've got to draft one and, and you need a, a what do you. And so what's he do? He trades Rocky scene for Yannick Ngakwe. Matt Eberflus, through the grace of God is hired as the head coach of the Chicago Bears. And half the fun of this upcoming season is going to be watching the city of Chicago turn immediately and forever against Matt Eberflus, despite the fact that he's a really nice guy. The city of Chicago is going to learn to loathe Matt Eberflus very quickly. They love aggressive defenses, and Matt Eberflus is not the architect of an aggressive defense. But anyway, regardless of of Matt Eberflus, and again, really nice guy, but how many times did we see third and eight turn into a first down because he set the zone 12 yards deep? Like, what are you doing? The first time that happens in Chicago, people are going to look at each other at Soldier Field, and they're going to say, what the hell is that? And then it's going to happen a second time, and they're going to rain down a torrent of booze unlike any that has been heard in the city of Chicago, like since the Black Sox scandal in ni- in 1919. I don't even know if White Sox fans booed that. But this is going to get, uh, it, it, for former Chicagoans who have relocated to Indianapolis, it, uh, we all get together and this is what we talk about. It's Eberflus. At any rate, if, if you want to activate yourself as a, as a caller, please do. Love talking to you. And uh, the uh, but the question remains, right? Do the Colts really want to win? This is the family business for the Ursays. Football is the family business. And as they continue to make money via media deals that are just ridiculous and getting even more ridiculous, just pouring money into these franchises, um, are, are they going to be satisfied with that wealth? as the Bears are, obviously, or are they really going to try to get this thing done and done right and and put the Colts in a position where they can be considered a Super Bowl contender or a Super Bowl favorite? And I really think they're one player away. I think if they went out and made a deal, and maybe the commanders don't want to deal Terry McCorn, but if you go out and get Terry McCorn, you, you got some. You have, if Paris Campbell and Alec Pierce stay healthy, and you have McLaurin along with Michael Pittman, you got a hell of a set of weapons in addition to the best running back in the NFL and a really good kind of widget guy who can go out of the slot or back up Taylor, be a change of pace, you know, get out in the flat and turn uh, uh, just a little safety valve kind of toss from Matt Ryan into a first down in Naheem Hines. And then at tight end, Mo Ali Cox, all right, Mo wasn't great last year, but the year before he was. And then you talk about uh, Jelani Woods as a third rounder who is a freak athlete, 6'7", huge hands, and, and an ability to get down the field and don't sleep on Kylan Grayson. So you got guys here, but you're one guy away. I think you're one guy away. And if the Colts can get that one guy, man. That team looks like it's good to go, but are they going to be able to? Should we trust Ballard 
to be able to go get that other guy, be patient, let the patients work for him, and then turn that into something like a Terry McCorn if things go south in terms of the extension negotiations between the commanders and McCorn. So that's kind of the question. And whether the Colts have the, have the stones, right, to be able to make that play. Deal like a second rounder in 23 for McCorn, or, you know, maybe you got to trade a first rounder. I don't know. But do you have the stones to be able to make that kind of play that the Rams benefited from so many times, right? They, they benefited from those moves once with the Super Bowl, but they made a bunch of moves like that where they dealt draft capital in order to, you know, kind of fill their nest with terrific weapons. You know, and, and you look at the Phoenix Suns it, it, from an NBA perspective. Like the Phoenix Suns have no desire to be a party to the draft. They don't want to expend resources toward building their draft board. They just don't care. They would rather trade their draft stock to get guys that they already know can play. So they're doing it differently, but those differences really manifested themselves in a successful regular season this past year. They didn't make it to the NBA Finals, but they were really pretty good this year. And they did that not via the draft, but via the acquisition of of players in return for draft picks. And then they don't get all crossways, you know, uh, in – in devoting so much in terms of resources to the draft. I mean, how many how many air miles are logged by Pacers scouts going to Europe to look at guys like Goga Batadze, you know, and, and going and looking at, you know, La Liga or the, you know, the German League, the French League, you know, uh, the uh, Israeli League, you know, and then G League, college, like they spend a lot of time looking at these cats and going through the process of figuring out who they are. And for that work, you know, what have they gotten over the last five years? TJ Leaf, Aaron Holiday, right? Goga Batadza. They traded one first rounder for Malcolm Brogdon. You know, last year they took Chris Duarte and they traded into the first round to get Isaiah Jackson. Maybe Jackson winds up being a player. But are you willing to do the make the difficult trade in order to you know put yourself in a position to win more than 25 games next year that's the question about the pacers it's the question about the colts how how steep a price are you willing to pay in order to become a championship contention team or is indianapolis is indianapolis just a small market where owners kind of uh greedily uh, grab cash from national deals that national media deals that feather their nests, right? You know, it's kind of, are we there? Is that who we are? Are we like, you know, what, what's another city that would be similar to that? You know, not a lot. How about Kansas City? But Kansas City, they try to win. The Chiefs try to win. The Royals, they won the World Series in 2015, right? But they're a small market. And they can't compete on the regular in baseball, but you can in football because of the hard cap. The hard cap makes it possible for parity to exist regardless of the market size. So, let, you know, as you look at, at Rams 
notwithstanding, and really the Chargers notwithstanding, you, you look at the big markets and you've got the Jets, Giants, and Bears, right? Three of the worst franchises in the NFL in, in terms of winning and losing over the last few years. And, and the Bears have been terrible for a long time. The Bears, you know, with the exception of the 06 season where they go to the uh, Super Bowl and lose ultimately to the to the Colts, they had a 13-3 and season also that Dick Duran kind of uh, got lucky. It, Mike Brown was awesome. And so, you know, the Bears wound, wind up kind of poking their head above the water every once in a while. But it's not a regular occurrence that they are a worthy NFL franchise. And the Giants and the Jets, I mean, the Jets are historically awful. So uh, Indianapolis, somewhere in the middle. Right. Over the last five years, Chris Ballard's Indianapolis Colts record is 42 and 42, including the playoffs. The Pacers, you know, the Pacers through like 2014, they were good a lot. You know, good through the 90s. They rebuilt on the fly. Donnie Walsh did a wonderful job. Donnie Walsh might have been the most capable sports executive that I've ever seen. He was phenomenal at building a culture, executing the culture. Uh, draft evaluations were wonderful. If Jonathan Bender didn't have the knee problems and the microfractures in his knees, I don't know how many championships uh, the Pacers might have won. But with Jermaine O'Neal, Ron Artest, it's, I wish they'd have held on to Brad Miller, but Jonathan Bender, Al Harrington, you know, that whole group, Wow, that was a really good functional basketball team that went off the rails with a, with a brawl and with some uh, behavioral wobbles in, in the city as, you know, they were out kind of enjoying themselves at the clubs. Um, you know, it, it, so you rebuild again, and that rebuild was, was just terrible. But Herb Simon wasn't going to tolerate, you know, a bunch of thuggery in the streets of, of Indianapolis. Uh, from those who are on his basketball team. Uh, with the Colts, how about Matthew Adams getting arrested? Now a member of the Bears, had a, had a, a, a handgun, um, and then a, uh, a clip with a whole bunch of, uh, with a whole bunch of rounds in it. And the, those rounds were metal piercing. What is the point of that for Matt Adams? You know, a lot of athletes like to carry uh, a weapon to protect themselves because they're wealthy and they know that because of that wealth, they're targets and can be targets. So I get that. But metal piercing uh, rounds of ammunition. Ugh. And, you know, that doesn't happen with the Colts. It, it, evidently, it happens with the Bears, but it doesn't happen with the Colts, at least not very often, or at least people don't get caught. You know, I don't think that all of a sudden Matt Adams uh, picked up um, a love of weapons and metal piercing rounds of ammunition when he got to Chicago and signed with the Bears and, and Matt Eberflus following him to Chicago. But that kind of thing doesn't happen in Indy, uh, at least not anymore. And I think that's a good thing because you don't need distractions. And you found out pretty quickly with David Perry, right? David Perry, was he a fifth-round pick out of Stanford? defensive tackle and a really, really good, sharp guy, fun guy to talk to in a locker room. He goes to Scottsdale, overserved, uh, takes a golf cart 
And uh, I think ran it into a tree, got arrested. And upon his release, he flew immediately to Indianapolis to try to save himself and, and get in front of Chris Ballard and say, hey, listen, I'm really, really sorry. This was a you know, weird kind of occurrence and blah, blah, blah. And Ballard wasn't buying it. And David Perry uh, was gone quickly from the Colts. They don't, they don't tolerate that kind of, uh, that kind of thing. They don't, they don't tolerate distraction and, and good for them for not tolerating distraction because distractions don't help you win. So there you go. Uh, terrific. This weekend, just wonderful. You know, we're, we're kind of in that time of the year between the NBA draft and the start of training camp where seemingly very little is happening. But you know what? To hell with that. That's just not true. There's always something to talk about. We do it every single week on call in. And I love that you're here. And uh, so come on every single weekday morning. We do a uh, breakfast with Kent all over the place. YouTube, Facebook, you can get it anywhere. And then uh, Inside Indiana Sports Now, we do that every single afternoon, and we intersperse it um, with interviews, periodic interviews, and, and just love doing it because sports is fun here, and sports is a great diversion. There's real life out there, too. Sports helps us kind of mitigate and, and, uh, and kind of move through, perambulate through life and do it with a smile on our faces, so... Uh, thanks for bringing a smile to mind. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you uh, next week on call in and every single day on YouTube.